The Four-Leafed Clover Sappho was one of the queen's milkmaids. Outdoors in all weather, breathing sweet air, she was as brown as a peat pool, as strong as a heather root, and as wholesome as the new milk she brought from meadow to castle each sunrise. The path led her past the head of a valley filled from side to side with a forest of red yew trees. One morning, as she walked by with a pail of milk on her head, she stopped, dead in surprise. For rising above the treetops, she saw spiral stone chimneys where she had never seen chimneys before, and out of the spiral chimneys rose spiral columns of smoke. But a house can't spring up overnight like a mushroom, Sappho exclaimed. She lifted the pail from her head as she stood gazing, and the wreath of fresh grass it had rested it had rested on slipped from her head and fell to the ground. At once the chimneys vanished along with the smoke. Sappho picked up her grass garland. Back came the chimneys along with the smoke. Puzzled, she sat down and took the wreath apart. And among the meadow flowers and meadow grasses, she found a four-leafed clover. Now a four-leafed clover, Sappho knew, can make the right kind of eyes see things other eyes just can't see. Not everybody has the right kind of eyes, but Sappho had them. She took the four-leaved clover home and planted it in a pot on her window ledge. It put down roots and grew, and her tongue being as small as her heart was big, she did not tell a soul what she had seen. Winter came round. The cows were brought inside to their stalls. Sappho no longer passed the forest of red yew trees every morning, but every day now she saw Prince Pepin, the king's only son, ride out to hunt. Every day she would watch him ride out of sight and then sigh as if half her heart had gone with him. One day Prince Pepin did not come back from hunting and a letter fell from a swirl of mist into the queen's lap. It demanded the kingdom as the prince's ransom. But if in spite of all my safeguards, you can rescue him, it ended, you will never again be troubled by Simon the sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer, was a dreaded name in that kingdom. No one knew him, no one had ever seen him. No one knew where he came from, and no one knew where he lived. But three years ago, he had stolen the queen's luck, bringing black bull calf, Star, whom Sappho had brought up by hand, and since then, nothing in, ca nothing in castle or cottage had been safe from him. The king sent out his men to scour the whole kingdom, every city, every hamlet, every hill, every valley, every forest, every plain. But they couldn't find any trace of Simon the sorcerer, nor of Prince Pepin. Sappho watched them go, watched them return. Hmm, I wonder, she said to herself. Night and snow were following together as she pinned her four-leaf clover over her heart and set out for the head of the valley. If the chimneys were there, night and the snowstorm blotted them out. She said a small charm, then she said a big charm, and then she plunged into the black, black void of the forest. Soon she saw gleams of light between the yew trees, and before long she stood in front of a vast black mansion, scattered from ground to turrets with lighted arrow slits. Bursts of wild music came to her, bursts of loud laughter and revelry. She dimly saw that she was in a great snow-covered courtyard, bounded on the far side by a long, low shape that her milkmaid sense knew at once was a, cattle, 
was a cattle buyer. From it, in bursts, between the gusts of wild music came sounds she knew. The earth-rending stamp, the blood-curdling snort of a bull prepared for battle. She crossed to the buyer door and listened. The bull must be loose. To and fro, to and fro, it went it stamping from wall to wall, and straining her ears, she thought she heard a faint groan. She pushed open the door and felt the bull's hot breath on her. She saw him standing, black and monstrous in the dim light cast by a lantern. Her eyes, his eyes fixed on her, wicked and red, his battering ram of the head lowered, ready to charge. Then he sniffed, and the rage drowned out of him. He gently licked her hand, and she felt the rasp of his tongue as it curled over her fingers. The queen's black bull calf star had done the same when, before he could eat grass, she had dipped her hands in deep pails of whey gruel and let him lick them dry. She turned the massive, passive head towards the lantern. Yes, there was the five-pointed white star on his black brow. Star, she whispered, star? And rubbing his ears, she stepped beside him, towards the dark corner from which came labored breathing. A young man stirred painfully as she came near, passing light hands over him. She found that he was bound hand and foot, too tightly for her to untie him. The eyes and the blood-drained face lifted, looked deep into her own, then closed again. It is I, Sappho, she murmured. Lie still, my prince. Leave everything to me. She gathered up the weak prince in her strong arms, lifted him, heaved him onto the broad back of the quiet bull. Come, star, said Sappho. And out of the byre and the courtyard, through the night and the whirling snow, she led the black bull into the black forest. It was still snowing and windy when later that night a blast of the guest horn at the castle summoned the guards. No footprints led to the gate, and none led from it. The snow had filled them up as soon as they were made. But there at the guards' feet lay the lost prince, unconscious, bound hand and foot, but praises be still alive. All over the castle, lights were kindled to life, and all over the castle, joy was kindled with them. Now the queen, watching through the night at her son's bedside, pondered a mystery. He did not find his own way back alone, bound hand and foot. Someone had brought him. But who? And how? Next morning news came from the royal farm that Star, stolen by Simon the sorcerer three years ago, had been found there at dawn, chained in his own byre. And again the queen thought, so Star brought the prince home, but who among my son's friends would know how to handle a bull? Or even know which had been Star's buyer three years ago? The days passed, but Prince Pepin still lay in his bed, pale, silent, lost, and listless. The queen was old enough to know lovesickness when she saw it. Where does she live? This lady you love, my son, she asked. Nowhere, mother, he said faintly. I met her in a dream. So next day, before the king's daily visit to his son, the queen had the legs of the prince's bed sawn through. Why do you do that? asked Prince Pepin. To get you your heart's desire, my son, she told him. Lie still, leave everything to me. Someone else said that to me lately, said Prince Pepin quietly. But I cannot remember who. When the king came in and sat down with a bump on the edge of the bed as he always did, 
Crash it went, king, prince, and all. My golden garters, what was that? Asked the king, scrambling to his feet and dusting down his royal robes with his royal handkerchief. Our son's heart, said the queen. It is so heavy that the bed broke under him. Heavy with what? Asked the king. With love of a lady he met in a dream, said the queen. Is that so? Said the king, rolling his eyes. Get better, my son, and you shall marry somebody real. But P Prince Pepin did not get better. So a few days later, again just before the king was due to visit his son, the queen scattered dry crumbs in the prince's bed. Why do you do that, mother? asked Prince Pepin. To get you your heart's desire, my son, she told him. Lie still and leave everything to me. I remember now, said Prince Pepin dreamily. It was she who said that before she rescued me. Who? asked the queen. She told me her name, said the prince, groping in his misty mind, but I have forgotten it. Now I know a little more, thought the queen. It was a girl who rescued him. When the king came in, he sat down with a bump on the edge of the bed as usual. The prince rolled over to give him room. Crack, 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 went the dry crumbs under him. My golden garters, what was that? cried the king, frightened out of his wits. Our son's heart, the queen told him breaking for love of a girl who rescued him. Then let him marry her, said the king, before, his heart, before this heart of his pulls down the whole palace around our ears. Whoever she is, asked the queen. Whoever she is, said the king firmly. And who is she? Nobody knows, said the queen. He has forgotten her name. Ha, said the king, that is easy. Just make me a list of girls' names, and I shall soon find out. The queen sat down with a roll of clean parchment and nibbled the tip of her goose feather quill. Which of my girls would be strong enough to lift him, she asked herself. Only my milkmaids. Which of my girls would know about Star? Only my milkmaids. So she wrote down all her milkmaids' names and handed the list to the king. The king put on his gold-rimmed spectacles and looked over the top of them at the prince each time he read out a name. But the prince lay on his head with, with his head on his pillow, pale and lost and listless, and did not open his eyes from first to last. Your mind does not remember, my son, the queen said. Let's see if your heart does. She laid her fingertips on the prince's wrist and asked the king to read the list again. She could feel her son's pulse, slow and still and faint, so quiet, as name followed name. Then all at once it gave a mighty leap. Stop there, said the queen to the king, and she said to Prince Pepin, So it was Sappho, my son. Was it? Prince Pepin answered, still pale and lost and listless. The queen sent for Sappho. As she came shyly into the prince's chamber, he gave one look at her, and in two seconds he was out of his bed and across the room and holding her tight in his arms. When Princess Sappho went with her four-leaved clover to find Simon the sorcerer's house again, it had vanished into thin air. And just as it said in his letter, he has never troubled that kingdom again from this day to this. And though by now we have forgotten why, to this day we still think it's lucky to find a four-leaved clover. <laughs>